greater than the buffalo. together greatest of all greater than any giant we might imagine leering over us is God who leans over from the balcony of heaven looking down on all the earth knowing that it is his creation that he made it with the power of his word and it was his creative genius that thought it up with no material and with no tools but with his word he comes and calls it into existence it was that same word on that lake on that stormy night that same voice that the wind recognizes when Jesus said be still the wind and that storm recognized the voice of its creator and in reverential obedience it obeyed the creator of the universe God as we gather together this morning I pray that more than me we would hear you and we would recognize the voice of the creator and that our response would be reverential obedience that we would vanquish the throne room of our hearts from the idols that persist, that we've allowed, that we've permitted. And we'd come and place you there and that we'd worship you, that we'd honor you, that we'd exalt you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. you take your seats. Isn't this cool? <laughs> Can I get five? Because you rocked. You were an absolute legend. There is so much life in this church. If you just stop for a moment and have a look, moments like that or paradigm shift or even this team, come and look at the heart of worship. The message God is bringing through, look at the work that's been done, you look at our Sundays here and our Sundays in homes, you look at lives being transformed and changed, oh, this is an exciting time to be a part of this church. If you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you, so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Steph, I'm one of the leaders here, and um, I know that there's a couple of birthdays today. What is today? The 26th. That's a very popular day. And so we've got Jono, we've got Kathy Barry, and we've got Marty. Uh, and so there's, is there anyone else? I mean, while we're at it, is it your birthday today? It just seems like it's a very popular day. So very happy birthday to all of you. I uh, trust that it is going to be a great day. And my wife believes not in birthdays, but birthday weeks. So just let it roll on. <laughs> um... I also want to just take an opportunity to inform us as a church just around uh, Pat and Claudia. So you would know, many of you, all of you I imagine, would know Pat and Claudia who served on the eldership team until um, the middle of last year where they stepped down. And this week, uh, Claudia was in a car accident on Wednesday night, uh, hit by a car, oncoming traffic. 
Um, she is in hospital in ICU, and uh, while the long term uh, looks good, the short term is um, really challenging, and we uh, want to just hold them up in prayer and just to really rally around them as a community in prayer. At the same time, they need space uh, just around um, some of the realities that are going on. Uh, And I want to say, if you want to find out more, you can chat to Kaz, and we're also putting together a meal plan for them. And if you want to be a part of that, you can chat to to Kaz. Uh, But right now, I'd just love to um, pray for Pat and Claudia, especially Claudia. And so, um, if you will, just join me in prayer. Yeah, God, we, um, we're reminded in this moment that you are sovereign over everything, that you're not surprised by anything, and that you're not surprised by this accident, Lord God. At the same time, we know that your plans, your purposes are above ours, and you are busy in this moment doing something. And we pray, Lord God, first and foremost for her life, that you would come and bring mercy to her, that you would come and bring healing to her body, But more than anything else, we pray that your presence would be so close to her in this time that, Lord, in hindsight, she can look back and see the good in this through your presence being close to her and the work that you're doing, Lord God. In this moment, we can't always fathom why and we can't fathom what's going on, Lord God, but we know that you are a good God. And I pray, Lord God, that in this time, this family would know and understand that you are a good God, not just by virtue of what their head says, but in their heart, by the way that you would meet with them through your spirit, by the way we rally around them as a community, that they would know that you're a good God. We pray for Pat. We pray for strength for him. Uh, We pray uh, just for that entire family, Lord God, that you'd be so close to them and that you'd carry them in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we're... um, we're busy with a book called uh, Song of Songs. It's a preaching series going through the book of Song of Songs. And uh, really it is one of the most misunderstood books in the Bible. Um, some associate it with, you know, Romeo and Juliet and how you would see, you know, this romance between these two people. Others see it as like the ultimate mixtape. Like this is, if there's a mixtape out there, that's the best mixtape. For those of you that weren't in that generation, it's a... Uh, compilation of songs put together and really uh, uh, Song of Songs, yes it's a song and yes it's beautiful and yes it's about these, but it's so much more than that it really, really is and so Nicky Gumbel says this he says, the Song of Songs describes the joy and mutuality, beauty and power, agony and ecstasy of human sexual love. It speaks of marriage as it ought to be, the beautiful intimacy of marital love between man and woman Yet marriage is, in a sense, a metaphor to describe something even more beautiful, the relationship of God to his people. And for many people, we simply leave it on that first level, where we come and we understand it as a relationship between a man and a woman. But really, there's a deeper, more beautiful, more profound layer, which is this layer that speaks into God's relationship with his people. And it's this layer that makes this book so magnificent. It's this layer that Spurgeon comes and says, all of Scripture is holy, but Song of Songs is the holy of holies. Because it speaks of the intimacy and the presence of God that we can come and enjoy as a result of the work of the cross and because of the gospel. 
And so last week I put a disclaimer out there that I didn't quite land properly. And so I just want to repeat it and land it a bit better this week. And so, um, and so I said every relationship in Scripture that is a positive reinforcement of marriage, that is an example uh, of God's design for intimate relationship, that is a subtle reference to our relationship with God, is always represented as a heterosexual relationship between a man and a woman. That there's no deviation from this in Scripture, and that there should be no deviation from this in what God calls us to. And then I said, if you're here today, and you are attracted to someone of the same sex, I want to say that you're welcome. I want to say that we might not understand what you're going through, we might not understand your situation or your challenges, in the same way that you would not understand what I'm going through, my situation and my challenges. But the basis for us coming together is not understanding each other. You're welcome here. In my life and in your life. And so you're welcome here. And then I needed to come and land it, and I didn't. And I wanted to come and say, in light of this, and this being said, I just want to come and say that as a church, we believe God's design for relationship is a heterosexual relationship between a man and a woman. And this isn't something we are going to deviate from. And so, with that in mind, you are welcome here. In fact, everyone is welcome here. There's a journey deeper into relationship with God that we're all invited to. And all of us, doesn't matter who you are or what you're going through or what you're being challenged with or what your situation is, all of us are working towards Christ-likeness. We may not always understand it, but God's grace is the basis for us coming and journeying forward to that point and for us to come and be in relationship with each other. And so, through the course of this series, I just want to come and say that Song of Songs is a further reinforcement of this dynamic of God's design of a man and woman coming together. And so, we saw in part one this longing of this woman who wanted this guy, but she was a little bit ashamed, and then he responds to her and comes and he begins to dote over her, and as he begins to dote over her, she begins to get confident and they begin to sing over each other, uh, and... Um, and as they begin to journey a bit further, she bubbles up in confidence. And last week we saw how she comes and there's this monologue, and we're going to carry on with that this week, but there's this monologue where we see she's now coming and resting in him, resting in her relationship with him. And it was, of course, the metaphor back to us, that in our relationship with God, there's an invitation to come and to rest in him. And so this morning, as we continue with her monologue and what she's saying, my title and the theme of this morning is Winter is Over. And so let me read chapter 2, verse 8. And as I'm reading here, just have a look and, and see this theme of winter being over, or winter past coming through. And so it says, she says, Listen, my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. 
flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. And so, as I was reading this, I was reminded of the Chronicles of Narnia. And the most famous of all seven books is, of course, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And uh, if you've read it, you know it's the story of these four kids that go stay with a family friend and they discover in this cupboard a portal to another world. And so it's Edmund and Lucy and Peter and Susan. And they end up going through into this other world, which is actually Narnia. And in Narnia they get there and they find that Narnia is actually in a perpetual winter. It's just always winter there. And uh, there's a sad, somber, dark mood in the land. And it's as a result of this winter. But more than that, there is this wicked witch that rules. And it's her spell over this land that comes and causes this, this place to be in a perpetual winter. And it's a picture of hopelessness. And really one of the most brilliant lines that comes in so poetically uh, speaks of this hopelessness is, is this phrase that says, It's always winter but never Christmas. This is this land. It's always winter, but without the hope of Christmas. And so, this state of winter, of being cold and clammy, of long dark nights, of being huddled up and lethargic, and some people love winter. Other people don't like winter that much. But really, if you come and you think of winter as an extended period of time just going on and on and on, it can be demoralizing, life-sapping. And, and in many ways, it's a season that's devoid of life. A guy by the name of Gustave Flaubert said this, Are the days of winter sunshine just as sad for you, too? When it is misty in the evenings and I'm out walking by myself, it seems to me that the rain is falling through my heart and causing it to crumble to ruins. And so... There's a part of winter that I like, but there gets a point where I'm like, I've had enough. <laughs> I want the sun to come. You know, I like my fire. I go from my kachel, but I also like the sun. I also like, you know, being outside and the rain to stop and to cease. And so when we come and we, we think of winter, it's this heavy, it can be this heavy kind of space. Dark and depressing, devoid of life. And in the context of Narnia, it's this perpetual season that's just unending. It's just always snowing, it's always cold, it's always dark, and there's always this white witch that is ruling. But there comes a point where there is this lion, this big gigantic lion called Aslan, who comes and he breaks the witch's spell. And when he comes and he breaks the witch's spell, he breaks the winter curse. And this is an excerpt from the book that comes and speaks of what happens when winter is broken, when the season begins to change. It says that now they were steadily racing on again, and soon Edmund noticed that the snow which splashed against them as they rushed through it was much wetter than it had been last, last night. All around them, though out of sight, there were streams chattering, bubbling, splashing, and even, in a distance, roaring. And his heart gave a leap, though he hardly knew why, when he realized that the frost was over. And so winter can be this metaphor for a season. 
a dark season, that, that these winter seasons that are common to all of us, as we sit here, you might even be thinking of winter seasons you've experienced or the winter season that you're experiencing right now, where, whether it's in life or love or faith, we have and we will all experience these winter moments that are common to all of us. But with every winter, it must come to an end. And so at the end of winter, it's the start of spring. It's the fresh air, it's the light, it's the life, it's the green of new life sprouting forth, it's the singing of the birds, it's the chirping of the crickets, it's the bubbling of the rivers that puts a spring in your step and you start to sing and you feel happy and joyful. And so in Song of Songs, we have a woman who has longed for love who's been nervous that she's disqualified, she's ashamed and she, she, she feels like she can't have this love, Who, who's been huddled up in her loneliness, who's endured the long dark nights of longing for companionships, for companionship. And she's found it now. And the season has changed. And so listen here, verse 8, listen my beloved, look here, here he comes leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. See the energy there. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind the wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. And so we come and we look at this and you think of this, this gazelle or the stag in winter months. You'd come and you'd huddle away out of the wind. You'd huddle away and protect yourself somehow under a tree or in a nook or a cranny. And you'd come and you'd preserve your energy, you'd preserve your life. There's not much food out there. There's not much going on and so you, you're standing still, you're holding back, you're preserving your energy. But as we come and read here, this gazelle is leaping across the mountains, it's bounding over the hills. There is an energy at play here, there's an energy going on. It speaks of the change of season, no longer hiding back underneath the tree, sheltering from the falling snow, but bounding over the hills. The season has changed. It goes on in verse 10, says, My beloved spoke to me and said, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. And so the winter is past. She says it there. The winter of her loneliness, her isolation is gone. The rains are gone, the clouds are gone. The isolation is gone, the dark nights are gone. The season has changed and it's now spring. Verse 12, flowers appear on the earth. This is spring. The seasons of singing has come. The birds are out. They're singing. They've come back. The cooing of doves. Such a great word. Cooing of doves. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. It's coming. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. That smell of jasmine. That smell of the flowers of the blossoms in the air. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. It speaks of life, of light, of joy, of expectation, of excitement. And so this part of the, the song is speaking of a season change that's happened, that her longing has now gone, the winter has passed, and she's now found this love, the love of her life that comes and intoxicates her, makes her think about this, this relationship that puts a spring in her step. And so when we come and we think of winter, it's a metaphor for many things. <clears throat> and in the context of this lady, it's a metaphor for 
her relational status, I guess. And so I can remember with Kaz and I, and I shared our first kiss, where I came and I kissed her like she'd never been kissed before. And I walked out of the room fist pumping, yes, and shouting with celebration. And I, I guess I was, I was living in the reality of winter is past, yes. And Kaz went the other way and she began to cry. And she began to say, things are never going to be the same again. And I think winter just got all the more darker and colder in that moment. And it took a couple of days for us to come back and for me to realize that there was an early bit of sunshine that came out, but winter's come back in and it was a false start. And winter was full in there once again. And, uh, and so it took us a little while to navigate this and to get to a point where we're actually, yeah, actually we like each other. Let's make a go of this. And you know what happened then was there was a spring in my step. You know, I was like a donjon, like a, oh, oh. you know, I can do this. I've got romance in me, writing poetry, writing songs, learning the guitar. Yeah, there's a springtime that was coming over me. And so you may recognize this in your own context, in your own relationships, that this has maybe happened, that you've experienced this. And, and for some of us, as we come in, we, um, we look back. I mean, Kaz and I have been married for... Um, to me, it feels like 10 minutes. Underwater. I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> um, it's, um, <laughs> it's 17 years of, of marriage, and you know, things can get boring, and, yeah, but really I feel like things are only getting better and better. That some of the early fights and you know, working out different dynamics is done and dusted, and we're, we're more settled. We know each other. We know what riles each other up, and we know what to do and what not to do. And there's a sweetness about our relationship that wasn't there back then. And I think for some of you, you've lost that. And for some of you, it feels like you had you know, that initial springtime, and then you went to winter, and it's been years and years and years of winter. And I want to come and say, God doesn't have that for your relationship. He really, really doesn't. There's a freshness that He wants to bring to your relationship and to your marriage that you can hold out in faith for. I really believe that. And I, I've seen it in relationships. People that are as old as time, still love each other and deeply and romantically, walking, holding hands and saying beautiful things to each other. That's how I want to be when I grow up. And so there's a, there's a winter for relationships, but there's a group of people sitting here that would come and say, oh, that kind of excludes me. It's what we would call singles. It's what the Apostle Paul would call unmarrieds or widows. And you might find yourself in something of a winter right now that is just extremely tough. And so when we come and say this thing of we might not actually know your situation or your challenges or what you're going through, I think it's very real that for someone like myself, I just don't fully comprehend and appreciate what it is to be single. And it can be tough in a sex-obsessed world that we live in, which really is rampant. 
But what can make it even harder, for us as believers in a sex-obsessed world, is to be in a church that is a marriage-obsessed church in a sex-obsessed world. And I think the church has in time maybe come and put too much emphasis on marriage. Perhaps more emphasis on marriage than the Bible itself does. And so when we come and we look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, To the unmarried and to the widows I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And so he's putting a premium on singleness. He's coming and saying it's good. And the question you might ask is why? Well, he goes on in verse 32 and he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And so, and so I want to say that marriage is good. And I want to say that marriage is a beautiful picture and representation of our relationship with God. But we also understand according to Jesus, when he's confronted by the Sadducees that say, this person has been married several times, who will they be married to in heaven? And he comes and he says, no, uh, you don't understand. You won't be married in heaven. How do we come and land this and understand this? Well, we won't be what we will be because our relational status as believers is that we are, our spiritual relational status, if you are a Christ follower, is that you are in a relationship with Christ before anything else. And above anything else, you're in a relationship with God. You're married to God. And so the beauty of Song of Songs is that both singles and marrieds can discover intimacy. Charlie cleverly says this, The fact that finding joy and delight and intimacy in Christ is our very highest and hence most fulfilling, our most beautiful calling. If we are single and we understand his banner of love to be over us, if we delight in God's presence and his healing love, if we are sitting down resting as when Mary sat at at the feet of Jesus, this will help us. We may find we can be single, holy, and truly happy in a sex-obsessed culture and single, strong, and satisfied in a marriage-obsessed church. And so for some of you that are maybe looking for relationships, I want to say that there is the thawing of that winter as you come and find your place and intimacy with Christ and God first and foremost. And even for us married, if you want to have a great marriage, you first need to come and find a great relationship with God because that's what comes and makes any marriage great. And so we see there's this winter of relationships, but there's also the winter of life. There are the winters that we face, and life can be tough. Anyone that thinks life is not tough, just raise your hand quickly, and I'll call you out to be a liar or only a few days old. Because life is tough. And I feel like I have in some ways been protected and sheltered from what other people have faced. I mean, I'm thinking of, of Turkey and Syria and entire communities being flattened in one go. I'm thinking of those people in Syria. If it's not running away from war and terrorism, it's earthquakes. It's, 
And so my context is very, very different and I feel like it's sheltered, but I've still had moments where I've, I haven't had work, where, where we lost our first-born daughter. She was stillborn, where there have been personal attacks on me, etc., etc. There are these things that happen that come and create a winter of life where you're like, life feels so dark, it's so difficult, I just want to run away, I just want to get away from it. And so even right now, we think of Pat and Claudia and the family. There's a winter moment that has just landed upon them. That's not their own doing. It's just landed upon them. And so we all come and we are all going to face these unavoidable moments in life where winter is going to come and consume us. It is unavoidable. It's common to all. But related to this often is the winter of faith. The winter in our faith. Where sometimes as cross followers we experience the winter of faith. What St. John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul. What Peter Scazzaro comes and calls uh, going through the wall. And it's in those seasons where you know God. Where you've come to faith. And you've tasted His goodness. But your faith is wobbling. God feels far away or absent, or ignorant, or even cruel. And it might be because of a winter of death and bereavement, where you've lost someone close to you, and it just wasn't fair. It might be the dark night of doubt and atheism, where you just don't believe God. You just don't believe that He's there. You just don't believe it's possible. Or you've come to faith, and you're standing in a space where you're like, yes, but I just don't see him. I don't hear him. I don't relate to him. Where is God? And there's this doubt. Does he really love me? Is he really there? Or it could be because of the unending reign of depression and despair that we face that might be common to you and to your story. And again, I don't fully know and I don't fully appreciate, but I also know because there are moments where I just want to go and lie down and sleep and escape. And for those who are suffering under the heavy burden of depression, I think it can be like that. Just multiplied out a hundred times over. Or it could be the cold grip of disaster, like Syria, Turkey, or Pat and Claudia. And so these are common seasons to our lives that that are common to us all, that are unavoidable. And when we encounter these seasons in life, it can result in a winter of faith. And so for me, the hardest, the most vivid was when we lost our firstborn little girl. And I've spoken a few times about her in the last while. Her name was Sophia Grace. And we were away at the time. We were in Plet. And um, when we first knew something was wrong, I was a little bit incredulous. I was living in kind of a Disney World reality where everything works out nicely. And I was like, no, we'll just go to the hospital. We're going to sort it out. Let's get people praying. We're going to sort this out. And, and in that moment where um, two and a bit days later, I'm holding her lifeless body in my arms. It's just like, what? This stuff doesn't happen to me. And in that moment, the color kind of drains out of the world, becomes very black and white and stark. 
Uh, I remember being in the room with Kaz and walking out and, and kind of being strong in the room. And as I walked out and closed the door behind me, I fell down and I clutched the chair, hugged the chair and sobbed and wept into the chair as I, as I just began to grapple with this. And, and there was the weeping and the sobbing and in the days afterwards, the sense that God is... God just seemed very, very cruel in that moment. And I think, I think in some shape or form, all of us can relate to moments like this in our lives. And in my context, it took a bit of time, but it changed. It shifted. Gregory of Nyasa says, but then there came the one who works in us the springtime of our faith, the one who, when an evil wind was agitating the sea, said, Peace, be still. And in the midst of my anger and my thinking of God being cruel, he so gently and so kindly came and just stepped into that winter moment and brought a springtime of life and freedom and liberty. And so I wonder, what are the dark nights of the soul that you have faced? I wonder what winter you are facing right now. What is the state of your faith right now? And if you're battling, I want to say, hang in there. Don't give up. Take courage from the story of Joseph. He knew from an early age that he was destined for greatness. He had this Disney World reality that he was like, yes. And then he's betrayed by his brothers. He's betrayed by Potiphar. He's betrayed by the baker. And again and again, he's stuck in this hamster wheel of just winter, winter, winter. And yet we see the springtime of faith coming to him as he's established as the second in command of Egypt. As his brothers come in in fear saying, what is he going to do to us? He comes and with great wisdom he says, that which was meant for evil, God turned to good. God meant it for good. And in your situation, what Satan and what the world and the flesh and the kingdom of darkness might come and plan for evil, God, in his sovereignty, has an ability to come and turn it for good. That's why and that's how I could pray like I prayed earlier for Claudia. James chapter 1 verse 2, Consider it a pure joy, my brothers, my sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, (laughs) say thank you for this winter. God, thank you for the dark night of my soul that I feel absolutely alone and isolated, that I have no hope and that there's feels like there's no good and that no one loves me and that there's absolutely no hope. Thank you, God, for that. It's so counterintuitive. But that's what he's saying. Consider it a pure joy when you face trials of many kinds for the testing of your faith. God allows these things to happen so that your faith can be tested. So that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. 
He's working something out here that at the end of it, you might not see right now what's going on, but at the end of it, you can look back and say, oh, God knew. God is a good God. He's in control. Take courage. In Psalm 46, where the psalmist says, speaking of God, be still and know that I am God. And so in the midst of what you're going through and what you're enduring, don't give up. The one who works the springtime of your soul is at a hand. And then lastly, I want to come and speak about the winter of our souls. And so we've spoken about winter in relationships. We've spoken about winter in life and winter in faith, but also the winter in souls, in our souls, the winter of the soul. And so this is the greatest winter there is. The longest, the darkest, the most enduring, the most painful, brooding, overarching winter that there might be. It's the one in which our soul is disconnected from our maker, our creator, from God. And so we know that the thing that separates us from God is sin. It's the sin in our life that separates us from God and it's that very sin that causes the winter of our souls to come and bear upon us. Augustine said, Thou hast put salt on our lips that we might thirst for thee. And you see, our hearts are restless. They're restless so that they might come and find their rest in God. Pascal said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by the crea- God the Creator. That we could come and understand that in the saltiness of our lips, that within the restlessness of our hearts and the, the vacuum that exists, that this is symptomatic of the winter of our souls. That all of us long for God. That all of us look for God. That God has placed this longing inside of us. And it's the absence of God. And it's the divide of sin that stands between us and God that causes that winter to come in. That longing, that saltiness, that restlessness, that vacuum. And the soul, our souls are gripped in unbelief, in faithlessness, in atheism, in skepticism, in a hatred of God. But even in that space, God begins to work through the cross and through Christ Jesus, the thawing love of Christ and of the cross, and He begins to soften our hearts to Him. And so, quoting from Song of Songs chapter 2, Oregon, one of the early church fathers said this, For you I have endured the raging storms, I have borne with the waves, that would have assailed you. On your account, my soul became sorrowful even unto death. I rose from the dead after drawing the sting of death and loosing the bonds of hell. And there I say to you, now arise, my fair one, and come away, my dove. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and, the flower, and, and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. And I have risen from the dead. I have rebuked the storm. I have offered peace. And because, according to the flesh, I was born of a virgin and of the will of my Father, and because I have increased in wisdom and stature, the flowers appear on earth. Will the musos come up, please? As we come and we consider the winter of our soul, the searching, the longing, the desire for God, forget your girlfriend, forget your wife, forget those longings. There is a deeper longing that lives and breathes inside of all of us. It's for God Himself. And thankfully for those who have come to faith, 
we have found God and there's the springtime of, of the soul. But at one point, all of us were in this wicked winter that stretched out. And so in the Chronicles of Narnia, the white witch is a picture of Satan and the winter spell is a picture of sin and death and the power of sin and death. And Edmund's betrayal of his siblings is a picture of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And Aslan the Great Lion is a picture of Jesus Christ. And the only threat that still remains to the wicked witch is Aslan himself. And the witch comes and wants to kill Edmund because he's now betrayed her. And so he wants to come, she wants to come and kill Edmund. But Aslan comes and makes a trade and says, take me instead. And the witch is all too keen because she understands that her only threat is Aslan. For her to have ultimate power, she can come and get that if she gets rid of Aslan. But Edmund says, no, 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 don't, don't. And then Aslan says this, says this to Edmund, but tell no one about this deep magic from the dawn of time will prevent the witch from harming you. Even though she knows the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she does not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before, before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in the traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. And this is the story of Christianity, of our faith, of what we believe in, is that in our sin we are guilty before, before God. And the authority of that sin and death lies with Satan himself, the white witch of this world. But there's one who is Jesus Christ, who is completely innocent, who's not like us to the extent that he's born of a virgin, who comes in the frail frame of humanity, and he doesn't place himself like Aslan on a table, but he places himself on a cross. And he dies a death that he did not deserve, a death that we deserved. And in that moment, the devil comes and presides over a death that he had no authority to. Jesus was sinless. He was not guilty. And it was an oversight on his part, because in that moment, he became guilty. And when he became guilty, his power was broken. And in that moment, Christ rose to life again victorious over sin and death. And He comes and He offers to us to have lived in the winter of our souls the springtime of faith. And so the one who works the springtime of your souls is at work. And when I hear this, I, I am filled with such gratitude. You know, when I come home and Kaz has made me a meal, or when I come home and I've done something for Kaz, there's this gratitude that we feel towards each other. And that's for a meal. How much more not for our salvation, the life of Christ and the cross. And when we come and we think of the small winters that we face right now and we say, how are we going to get past this? All you have to do is come and look at the big winter of the soul and what Christ did on the cross. And you see the work that He did there, and the faith that He worked out there, and the faith 
that it stirs within us of what He has done comes and gives us faith for what He can do. And so won't you stand with me? I really believe and feel that the one who works springtime of our souls is at hand. That wherever you are, if you're experiencing the ongoing winter of your soul, the absence of God in your life, He's here. He wants to meet with you. And if you have come to faith and you know God and you know His goodness and you know His grace, but you're in a a dark space, I want to say He's at hand. The one who brings the springtime of your soul is at hand to come and meet with you. For some of you, for some of you, you're holding on to winter when Christ has come. God has come and He's brought relief. But for some reason you find your identity in that thing. For some reason you find that you, you, you don't think you're worthy of moving on from that thing. For some reason you're holding on to that thing. And maybe this morning you just need to let it go. Just let it go. And let the one who loves you, the lover of your soul, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for you, who loves and cares for you deeply and intimately, come and allow Him to minister to you, to love you, to put His banner of love over your life.